the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Here in Luke chapter 11, Jesus is accused of doing miracles through the power of Satan. How impossible is that is the subject of our time today here on Abounding Grace. Join us. The Ministry of Reformed Heritage Church in San Jose, this is Abounding Grace. Hi, and welcome to our program. We're continuing our series through Luke. Chapter 11, verses 14 through 28 is where we're at today. A message called, You Are Either Gathering to Christ or Scattering. It's a look at the paradigm that we have in this life. There's no fence-sitting. It's an either-or proposition. For the details, here's Pastor Gary Wagner. You are either gathering to Christ or you are scattering. I dare say, and I hope this is actually an overstatement, that most people don't know how to read the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They either see them as four different biographies of Jesus with mistakes in each one of them, or contradictions. Or among Christians, they see them as mere collections of stories in the life of Christ. Well, let me assure you, they are neither. I trust you notice when you read the four Gospels that they do not all contain the same material. One may include something the others exclude, and vice versa. Well, beloved, that's on purpose. It's not because each one of them had a certain amount of information and you then fill in the gaps by looking at the whole picture. It is because each of these gospel writers, inspired by the Holy Spirit, had a particular point they wanted to make about Christ. And they deliberately included the stories they included and deliberately excluded the stories they excluded. Each one of these authors looked for various events in the life of Christ to substantiate, clarify, illustrate the particular point they were trying to make about Jesus. And this is true especially of Luke. Luke was an artist with words, More classical pieces of art have been inspired by Luke than any of the other gospel writers. In fact, let me go back to the beginning of the book of Luke and read one particular phrase to you. As he introduces his book, he says this, that tells you a great deal about how to understand what he is trying to accomplish in his book. Chapter 1, verse 3. It seems fitting for me as well, having investigated everything carefully from the beginning, to write it out for you in consecutive order, most excellent 
Theophilus, so that you might know the exact truth about the things you have been taught. Well, an executive order in the New American Standard Bible is mistranslation. It is a mistranslation of the Greek, because Luke is not concerned with chronology, chronology, or putting things in a nice chronological order. For instance, in one particular case, he has events completely out of order, such as the preaching of Jesus at the synagogue in Nazareth that took place later on in his Galilean ministry. Luke put it right at the beginning. Now, is that a mistake? No, he knew exactly what he was doing. He thought the sermon Jesus preached at this synagogue was a good illustration of the emphasis Jesus would make throughout his preaching itinerary. So he puts it at the beginning and gets it out of place chronologically on purpose. Because his concern is not to write things in consecutive order, but as the Greek word means there, to write things in literary order, in artistic order, or a logical order. And he was a master at this. So when you come to passages like chapter 11, like any chapter really, there are two things you must ask about what you are reading in order to really understand what Luke is saying about Jesus. Number one, why did he choose these stories? Why did he put these in in light of the overall theme, which is the Lord's Christ is Christ the Lord, who came to seek and to save that which is lost. Also, what is the point? How do these stories illustrate his theme? But then, even more importantly, you must ask, what is the connection in these stories? Because a lot of times you can just read it and think, here is a story, Luke just stuck in here. You know, he stapled this one in here and... Then he scotch-taped this over here as if he was just an expert at scissors and tape. But they really don't seem to fit together. Well, that is not the case with Luke. He was a literary artist. He knew what he was doing. And he put certain stories together on purpose. So when you study Luke, not only ask yourself, why did he include this, but what is the connection in all of these stories? It is that connection in the stories that Dick read earlier that contain a tremendous point for us to understand. Luke wrote this book to encourage people from every walk of life to receive Jesus Christ as the Son of God incarnate, as their Lord and Savior. And as I have said at other times, because of that, he is very careful to describe to Greek unbelievers to whom he is writing. He is not writing to Jewish people who had a slight understanding of spiritual things in the Old, Old Testament. He is writing to Greeks involved in a Hellenistic culture, and he wants to be very careful to describe to them what a true believer in Jesus Christ looks like. How does he live? We saw this last week. In chapter 11, verses 1 through 13, all of that section has to do with prayer in some way or another. And I ask, why did Luke put these verses here? 
I said he put them there to help us see that in everyday life of a disciple of Christ, there is an absolute certainty of answered prayer. That every day he can be confident that God will answer his prayers. And now we come to verses 14 through 28. And we see Luke put together together very brilliantly some stories to teach us that no human being is neutral about Jesus. He doesn't want these Greeks who are steeped in the philosophies of the classical world to get the impression that as he writes to them about Jesus, that they have to make up their mind whether they are for him or against him. Not at all. He is telling them that they are already against him if they are not for him. Everyone on earth is either for or against the Lord Jesus Christ. Everyone on earth is either filled with the Holy Spirit or filled with unholy spirits. And if the latter is true then Luke wants us to know that Jesus, the only Jesus, and only Jesus, can set people and nations free from Satan's evil life-destroying power. Now, let's look at our text. In verses 1 through 13, he encourages us to pray. And now in verses 14 through 28, the same Savior that taught us to pray is now the one who conquers Satan to teach us that it is impossible for Satan to keep any of our prayers from being answered. You see how it fits together? We see there is a definite relationship between our text and the rest of the book of Luke. Because in this text, you see the beginning of the intensification of the hatred and hostility from the scribes and the Pharisees against Jesus that would eventually lead to his crucifixion. So the intensity of the battle begins to accelerate here, and in the rest of the book, you see Jesus suffering more and more persecution and opposition on the part of his enemies. Now, in this section we read, we read there are four parts. First of all, there is a miracle about Jesus casting out a spirit that made a man dumb, and I believe Most Christians today are filled with that dumb spirit. They never seem to say a word. They never open their mouth. Now, of course, I'm being facetious, but it is a major problem in Christendom today. So in the the first story, you have the story of Jesus casting out a demon that made this man dumb. Then you have a statement Then you have two simple stories. You have a simple story about a man who had a demon cast out of him, but he did nothing with his life. So seven more demons possessed him. Then you have a homey little story about a woman who was so impressed with Jesus that she just couldn't contain herself. And she said, what a marvelous privilege it would be to have a son like Jesus. Jesus doesn't disagree with her, but... He even takes it a little further. So a miracle, a statement, two stories, and it is the statement that unites them all together. Everything in this text has to do with the statement in verse 23. He who is not with me is against me, 
and he who does not gather with me scatters. So first of all, let's look at this miracle. Jesus comes across a man who is possessed with a demon that makes it impossible for him to speak. So Jesus expels the demon simply by speaking to it. Now, what is interesting is that there are some great lessons to learn from the response of the crowd to this miracle. When you compare Luke and the parallel passage in Matthew, you see some people who see this miracle as proof of Jesus' Messiahship, and they receive him as the promised Messiah. And there is an interesting word here that Luke uses. Notice in verse 14 that it says, And he was casting out a demon, and it was dumb. And it came about that when the demon had gone out, the dumb man spoke, and the multitudes marveled. The gospel writers continuously use this word, or similar words, to describe the response of the onlookers. The response of those who heard his preaching and saw his miracles. You see it over and over again in Scripture. They use words like marveled, astonished, amazed, in other words, very similar. Now, Luke is not simply describing their emotional state here. These are words that describe a person who is conscious that he is in the presence of God. You marvel. You are astonished. You are amazed. You are bewildered. You are awestruck. You stand in reverence over and over in all kinds of ways. Luke is telling us this Jesus who came to seek and to save that which is lost is Christ the Lord. This God and even though, even though people around him, the common man may not have been able to verbalize it when they were in his presence watching him perform miracles or hearing them speak, they had the feeling, the experience of being in the presence of Almighty God. But there were also scribes and Pharisees who were there and who under no circumstance would let themselves believe that Jesus was the Christ. Now, one interesting thing about this story is that none of the onlookers could deny the historical reality of this miracle. No one denied this miracle took place. So they had to come up, for, come up with some reason for it. No one said, well, you set this up. This guy was never possessed with a demon. We don't believe in demons anyway. This is just a big trick. No one said that. Everyone knew the miracle took place. You had one group of people who refused to accept the point of that miracle, and that is that Jesus Christ is incarnate, the Messiah, the Savior of the world. So they had to think of some way to reinterpret this fantastic situation that they could not deny that would justify their unbelief. So they blasphemously and absurdly declared that the reason Jesus could perform this miracle was that he was in cahoots with Satan, that he was in league with the devil, and he gave him the authority and the power to cast out this demon. That is why he could perform this miracle. They had to explain it some way or another. 
Then you had some others there who didn't go that far. They didn't accuse Jesus of satanic collusion, but they still would not admit that his miracles proved that he was the Messiah. So they said, listen, Jesus, we aren't with those wild extremists over here, but how about giving us a real sign from heaven that is irrefutable and proves you are the Messiah? He just cast out a demon. Throughout his whole ministry, he raised the dead, healed the sick, calmed the seas. But they had no intention to believe in him. Yet, they kept pressing him to give him more signs, greater signs. But since they didn't believe the miracles he had already performed, he wasn't about to submit himself to their tests. Now, before I go any further, there are some applications that could be made. First of all, notice the variety of ways that Satan has to injure people. In the New Testament, we read about dumb demons, unclean demons, raging and violent demons. Satan has many different weapons in his arsenal. He has many ways by which he can bring injury to you, my friends, physically and emotionally and spiritually and socially. Therefore, be on your guard. Satan is a fool for his rebellion against God. But Satan is not dumb. Then also notice the amazing power of the prejudice against Christ in the hearts of unregenerate people. Everyone who was there that day saw the miracle, and no one could deny it. But they refused to admit that it was performed by the power of God. So they tried to discredit Jesus. They wouldn't listen to the evidence. They were not convinced by plain arguments. They blinded themselves from seeing what really took place. They did not want to believe. So Jesus said, as you will see next, next Sunday, I'm not going to give you any more miracles that you asked for except for a sign of Jonah. And that's what I'm going to give to you. That's it. Not what you demand. They were saying, give us more evidence, more reasons, more signs. And Jesus said they needed nothing more. They had all they needed right there. And the point is, they did not want to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. So they would convince themselves of anything, however stupid it may sound, to keep from believing in Him. And you see that in our culture. You must understand this about the people you witness to. It's not that they just need more proof. It's not that they have honest, intelligent questions they need to be answered. These people will not believe what is before their eyes unless Jesus opens them. In fact, if you notice in our culture, unregenerate people are more and more resolved to believe that whatever a Christian does and says must be wrong. And whatever he says must be false. Especially dominionists like us. Matthew Henry said this, Obstinance, unfaithfulness will never be at a loss for something to say in its own excuse, 
though ever so frivolous and absurd. When someone is determined to not believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, he will never be at a loss to justify his unbelief, even if it is just downright stupid. Well, Jesus, the only reason you can perform miracles and cast out demons is because you are in league with the devil. And Jesus, of course, said, to put it into the vernacular, that is the most stupid thing I've ever heard. Why would Satan cast out Satan? Then he shows them that they are hypocrites. What about the Jewish exorcist? They claim to cast out demons. Are they doing it in cahoots with the devil? He had them dead to rights. He answered their hollowness and their determination not to believe in him. Then he explains what really happened. But before we look at Jesus' explanation, notice what Luke says in verse 17. Remember, he's doing all he can to get us to believe that Jesus is truly God. Verse 17. But he knew their thoughts, and he said to them, go back to chapter 5, verse 21 of Luke. Luke was always saying these things like this about Jesus. And he said in chapter 5, verse 21, And the scribes and the Pharisees began to reason, saying, Who is this man who speaks blasphemy? Who can forgive sin except God alone? But Jesus, aware of their reasoning, answered. That had to make them pretty upset. He knew their questions before they asked them, and he answered their questions before they even got them out of their mouth. In Luke chapter 6, verse 7 and 8, we read, And the scribes and the Pharisees were watching him closely to see if he healed on the Sabbath in order that they might find reason to accuse. But he knew what they were thinking, and he said. Then in chapter 7, verse 39, Now when the Pharisees who had invited him saw this, the Pharisee, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who and what sort of person this woman is who is touching him and that she is a sinner. And Jesus answered, and what did he answer? This man who was talking to himself. And he said to him. And now we see in Luke eleven seventeen, but he knew their thoughts. Now why does Luke emphasize this? Because he wants you to understand without a doubt that Jesus is God. That the person you see walking through the pages of Luke is none other than the creator of the world in human flesh. And you can believe in Jesus all you want to. And you can ask him to be your savior all you want to. And you can ask him to come into your heart all you want to. And you can make a decision for Christ every day if you want to. But it means absolutely nothing if you do not believe that this man is God. 
The only Jesus there is is God in human flesh. And over and over and over, Luke and the other gospel writers tell us this Jesus with which we have to do is none other than God Himself in human flesh. So then Jesus answers their stupidity. He shows the absurdity of their argument as to why He could cast out demons. Notice in verse 20. If I cast out demons by the finger of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Jesus is saying, I just flicked that demon out of that man. That's all it took. And Did you know that in the Old Testament, the finger of God is a symbol for His almighty power? Psalm 8 says, When I consider thy heavens the work of thy fingers, it is God's fingers is what brought creation into existence. Well, this has been Abounding Grace with Pastor Gary Wagner from Reformed Heritage Church in San Jose. As we have closed out our time together today, I would remind you that our desire is to know how this program encourages you in Christ. Now, there are a couple of three ways that you can contact us to provide us with this information. And again, it would really encourage us a great deal if you'd take a moment and let us know how the program is encouraging you in your walk and relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Here's how to contact us. Phone number is 408 408- Eight six six five six zero seven. That's four zero eight eight six six five six zero seven. Our website, where you can drop us an email and even learn a bit more about us, is reformedheritage.org. And then, of course, you can write to us at PMB. That stands for Post Mailbox Number four zero two fourteen eighty four Pollard Road, Los Gatos, California. The zip code is nine five zero three two. Now, there is another way you can contact us, and this would be the best of all, especially if you're not involved in a church at this time. Plan on visiting. Let us uh, fellowship face-to-face, as it were. We meet at Lone Hill Church, 2 in the afternoon on Sundays at 5055 Lone Hill Road in Los Gatos. Directions can be found at our website, reformedheritage.org, or by calling 408-866-5607. By the way, copies of the broadcast are just $5. Mention today's date when you contact us, and we'll get a CD out to you right away. Thank you for joining us today. Until next time, God bless. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never before seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.